mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. We're going to be beginning this morning in verse 27. If you'll remember with me, we began uh, with Jesus saying he must needs go through Samaria. And I, and I really like this because if you, if you remember the testimony in chapter 3 was that some of John the baptizer's disciples were complaining that everyone was coming to Jesus. And then John said, that he must increase, Jesus must increase, so and he must decrease. And that's the same word, must need decrease, must need increase. It, it's the same word where he says he must need go through Samaria. But my point really is, is then we open up chapter 4, and the Pharisees have seen that everybody's coming to Jesus, that Jesus is baptizing a lot of people. And so Jesus, knowing that it's not his hour yet, he leaves. But where does he go? He leaves a crowd of people, everybody coming, saying, what's going on? And he goes to one person. He goes to one woman at a well. He says, I must need go to Samaria. Samaria means guardianship. He goes to one person, and I want you to understand this, that there might be in a crowd on church on Sunday morning or at some evangelistic meeting, there might be a crowd and you can speak to them, but God is so concerned with just one person. And we're going to see the exact same thing happen when we get to the book of Acts in chapter 8, uh, if you remember that persecution broke out. Saul of Tarsus was uh, persecuting the church, and, and really God was allowing it purposefully because the people were not going. He had told them to go. He said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and teach. Go make disciples. Baptize all of them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And they all hunkered down in Jerusalem. Like he was coming back the next day. So he allowed persecution to rise up. And Philip, one of the table washers, one of the people working in the food bank, he went down to Samaria, where Jesus is at now. He goes down to Samaria. Remember that? And revival breaks out. Sorcerers get saved. Revival breaks out. And what does God do? He sends an angel, a messenger, and says to Philip, go down to Gaza. Go, go away from here. And we see the same thing happening again. He leaves the whole crowd to be led by the Spirit of God to go down and he meets one Ethiopian eunuch riding in a carriage and he goes forth and he tells him about Jesus and who, who, who the Bible's talking about as he reads out of the book of Isaiah. 
Then he baptizes him, and then the spirit catches him away, harpazo, and he's found over in Caesarea where he just continues to teach the word, and he raises four daughters who are all four prophetesses. Remember, this is what I want you to see, is that it's not about the crowd. With God, it's all about you. It's about one soul at a time. Because way going across the church today is this socialism that's all about we need to get this going and we need to do this and we need to save the city. Jesus came to save you one soul at a time. And we're going to see because of one soul, that one soul went and became a witness and the whole city gets saved. But you can't get the cart before the horse. You can't go to the whole city and forget about the soul because you walk right past the person sitting at the well, worshiping on their mountain, drinking the waters of this world, needing living water. Listen to me. And Jesus, if you remember, I'm not going to rehearse the entire text of our last 26 verses. But this lady who is a dreg of society, we see her testimony. She's been married five times. She's living with a man. Listen to me. Jesus came and pointed out her sin. He got right to the spiritual heart of the matter. She heard the truth and she believed. Now remember when we, what did he tell her? He said that she started a, a religious argument. You Jews say, but us Samaritans believe. And he said, woman, the time is coming and now is when you won't worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. But you will, the Father is searching for people who will worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, don't complicate that. Listen, you need the Spirit of God to lead you in the truth of God for the glory of God. Don't complicate that. I've seen so many people complicate it. When you believe in Jesus, what happens? The Spirit of God, God Himself comes and lives in your heart. He seals you. And now when you listen and obey Him, you become a child of God. Listen. Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. You, you should know that verse by heart. But it's so important because people will say, well, I said a prayer. I believed. Did you really? Then are you being led? Is the evidence there of being led by the Spirit of God? Are you looking for the Word of God and the teaching of God and the truth of God? And Are you looking to be subject to God and come back into His family and obey God? Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. Is that where your heart's at? That's what the evidence is that shows. It doesn't mean you won't stumble. It doesn't mean you won't fall. It doesn't mean you won't mess up. But are you moving in that direction of sanctification? But don't complicate that. It's the Spirit of God that leads you into all truth. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do. It's not somebody floating around. It's not somebody that's, that's speaking in tongues. It's not somebody that has all these giftings and has a whole bunch of followers. Worshiping the Father in spirit and truth is believing in Him who He has sent. He sent His Son as the provision for the sin nature. He died on a cross. He rose again on the third day. If you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And when you're saved, then the Holy Spirit comes in. Jesus said in John 14, I, I, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to go away, but I won't leave you as orphans. I'll send you another, 
the spirit of truth. He will be with you and in you. And then he comes upon you with power when you begin to follow. So it's really important that we understand spirit and truth. It's all about truth. The enemy fights with lies. He wants you to follow yourself, sin and Satan. He wants you to follow anything that's religious, but not the word of God, the truth of God. Original sin was when Eve, because Adam wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, obeying and protecting his bride, Eve listened to a lie and followed it. That's how you and I get a sin nature. Now, as the bride of Christ, if we listen to the groom, led by the spirit that he has provided, that's how we get a crown. Positionally, it's when you believe. Practically, it's when you cross the finish line. See, because if it was already a done deal, then why didn't God just take us straight home? Got him, take him home. Got him, take him home. She believed, take her home. No, he's got work he's doing in us and through us and for us by the power of the Holy Spirit as we go to others and we become witnesses. And the word witness, remember Acts 1.8? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's the word martyreo. It's the word where we get the word martyr from, one who dies for their faith. And the Holy Spirit comes in. You die to self, and you begin to follow the Spirit in the will of God. You become the hands and the feet of God, going to the lost that He came to save. Because that's the only ministry we have, is the ministry of reconciliation. What are we doing? We're reconciling souls, one soul at a time. When we speak truth, look, we've got the greatest, greatest uh, example right before us of God himself. Jesus Christ just speaking truth to a woman who's in sin. She, she, she's got a need, a physical need. She wants water. She comes out at noon to a well because everybody else is asleep. She doesn't have to go through the shame of being, being known that she's been married five times and they talk about her and gossip about her. So she comes at a time when nobody else is at the well. And she has this conversation with God. I want you to see that, that, that at the end of the text, verse 26, he says, the one who speaks to you, I am he. She said, I know that Messiah is coming. And he says, I am he. I am the becoming one, the self-existent one. He reveals to her that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed of God who would come and take away the sins of the world. Why is that important? Everybody you see in the Bible, the Old Testament saints, and yes, the Samaritans, they were half Jews, half Assyrians, from the captivity age, they were all looking forward to God's provision for the sin nature, to God's provision for them, their Messiah, their Savior. You and I, we're all looking back. We've seen that it's now written. They were all believing by faith as they look forward, and they knew that one day God was going to send a Savior. They're all by faith believing God. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was under grace long before the law. Under the law, they believed God that he was going to provide. And meanwhile, since you guys have messed up, he said, here's a sacrificial system. 
where you will kill animals, bleed them out. And every time that you deal with your sin, you will see blood spilled. It was all a type, a picture, if you will, prefiguring that Christ's blood would be spilled for our sins. But in the Old Testament, under the, the law, it was called a kofar, which is where we get the word covering. Listen, all of us need a covering. You guys understanding coverings? Adam was Eve's covering. He didn't cover her. She sinned. Adam gets the blame for it. Bible clearly gives the blame to, to Adam. It's not the woman's fault. The woman was supposed to be protected and trained and taught and the helpmate to Adam who was the tender of the garden. But see, our world has got us all messed up. The devil wants to come and confuse you. He wants you to think that it's something so totally different. But there's a covering. And that's what the sacrificial system was. It was a covering so God did not have to kill them. And he could be in their presence. And it was all speaking of Christ who came, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He took away the sins. He didn't cover them. He takes them away. He throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. He takes them as far as the east is from the west. Do you know how far that is? It's forever. North and south meet each other. If you're going north, you're going to eventually go south. East and west never meet. It's gone. He forgets it on purpose. The God who knows everything, remembers everything, can see everything. He knows every thought in your heart. He chooses because of the blood, the perfect sacrifice of his son, to forget your sin forever. You're the one that remembers it. You're the one that sits around and beats yourself up instead of getting back in the race, getting some more living water and keep running. See, he took away the penalty so you can keep running. Your position is fine. It's the practical part that you need to get. See, our position is perfect in Christ when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. It's the practical. And so the devil shames us into getting out of the race, shames us into quitting, shames us into sharing, shames us into being a witness. The practical part is where we confess our sin and he's faithful and just to forgive us and keep cleansing us, keep washing us with his living water until we look just like him the day that we see him. So he's with this woman by the well. He clearly uh, tells her, I who speak to you am he. If you take out all the other stuff, it says I am. That's what I like to see. I am. Because Jesus is going to say that at least seven times in the book of John. I am. He declares to be God. He tells her he's the Messiah. He did not tell that to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler. Nicodemus was a teacher. Nicodemus was a religious man. He did not tell Nicodemus that he was the Messiah. He told Nicodemus, you must be born from above. I know your text says born again, but we need to understand it's born from above, born of the Spirit. Have you been born of the Spirit of God? This is not about denominational lines. This is not about works. This is about the grace of God. This is about being a spiritual thing. Notice in this text that Jesus didn't lead her in a prayer. I just want you to see this. It's not there. The altar call's not there. The shaming's not there. The confession of sin is not there. It's all a spiritual thing. 
The program's not there. The religious denominational alliance is not there. None of the things that you see in church today are there. There is God, there is a sinner, and there's a whale. There's a woman has, that's looking at physical needs and physical shame and her plight in life. That's you and I, the church. The Samaritan woman is all of us. And Jesus must need come to each one. It's whomsoever. He died for all the sins of the world. And he comes to each one of us personally and tells us that he's the Messiah. He tells us this is the only way to get to heaven. And there comes that conversation. It's a spiritual matter. It's not between anybody else. So all of this exercise of going forward to win converts and then make them twice the sons of hell, that's an exercise in futility. If a person doesn't meet with Jesus, and if you meet with Jesus, it's a spiritual thing. The Spirit comes in, and automatically your life changes. That's where we're going to pick up now. When the woman walks away from her water pot, she never got a drink. She never drank no physical water. Did anybody see her take a drink of physical water? Anybody see anybody get in the well? She drank living water and forgot about her physical needs. That's salvation. She drank living water and walked away from her vessel. She never even put it in there. The noonday sun, her shame, her guilt, her mind changed, her life changed, and she goes back into the city to tell everybody else that she met somebody who changed her life. That's real salvation. Listen, do not miss this. The Lord of glory comes and shows us what evangelism looks like. He shows us what salvation looks like. He shows us what happens to a life when the Spirit of God comes in. If we will not quench and grieve and insult and lie to the Holy Spirit, but we will just get up and begin to drink of living water. So 27, at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went into the city, excuse me, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? But I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for there are, are, they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have, not, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for, our, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ 
the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, help us to receive this word, that it would be implanted deep in our heart, that we would understand what true salvation looks like, that it's a work of your spirit, that it bears fruit, and that it tells others. We give you praise, Lord. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? And upon this came, as the King James, uh, his disciples we don't know when they walked up. Just quickly, a sidebar, because this has happened so many times to me. And I just want to say this. Notice this. You can be focused on physical. You can be working on the job. You could be maybe at the uh, 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 pitch-in dinner, and you're talking about something physical. You're living a physical life. But it's really about souls. It's really about the soul of people. It's a spiritual life. We're not to regard anything as flesh and blood anymore. So many times I have been sharing with somebody who is not saved or sharing with somebody that is a newborn and sharing spiritual truths and somebody walk up in the flesh and interrupt, completely interrupt, completely embarrass the person that's being shared with who was opening up and listening to the gospel. I just want you to hear this. Be aware of your surroundings. If you walk up and somebody's having a conversation about Jesus, either be still and start to pray for that conversation, maybe add a little bit, or walk away. Because if somebody's at the point where they want to get saved, and I'm not telling you they're not going to get saved, but don't interrupt spiritual life with people because it happens all the time. I'm sharing with a customer in a house and somebody working with me, all they're worried about is a paycheck. All they're worried about is getting the carpet clean and somebody's actually listening to spiritual truth. Their conscience is being impacted with the word of God and then somebody interrupts it because they're not paying attention to what's going on in life because your focus is physical like hers was. Our focus can be totally physical when it should be totally spiritual. I'm not talking about not doing what you should have to do in the physical. That's easy. Doing physical life is easy. It's hard to be in the spirit. It's hard to be concerned about others. It's hard to surrender to the work of the spirit and be concerned about what's going on and say, I don't care about this physical life. But that truly is a life of faith, is to plant, to sow, to water, so that somebody can reap. And you don't always have to move them to a decision. You might just be watering a seed or planting a seed. We'll talk about that in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Listen to me. Just be very careful with it. Because so many times I've seen that happen, and somebody who thinks that they're an evangelist or a great Christian just mess up an entire meeting with somebody. And I think, what in the world is going on here where they are so out of tune with what's going on that they will interrupt and throw a bunch of stuff in and embarrass the person who's trying to hear spiritual truth. 
Maybe it's me. Maybe I'll just throw that out. You can throw it out if you don't like it. I just need you to understand we're here now. The reason we haven't went home is not just our practical sanctification, but it's to be witnesses so that other souls would come and hear Jesus and drink of living water. That should be paramount in our life, that other people, we should be praying about them. We should be waiting to speak to them. We should be learning the Bible so we could speak to them. We should be finding out our gifts and talents and abilities so we can speak to them, so we can use them for God's glory. <clears throat> the second thing here is, is that these, they don't say nothing to Jesus, but they're like marveling. Thalmadzo is the word to marvel. It just means they're admiring and they're wondering what in the world's going on. Listen, in this society, out in public, men did not speak with women privately ever. And the Jews didn't even speak to Samaritans at all. And then they come walking up, and already Jesus is changing the way they think about things. Their life is changing. They're growing. They're learning. And they're like freaking out going, he's out here talking to a woman by himself. And I would encourage you men never to do that. This is God on the, in the flesh. But men should never counsel women, and women should never counsel men by themselves. And I don't care if it's on Facebook, if it's on texting, I don't care where it's at. You need to be very careful what you're doing. Because the devil, even when your intent is good, will go to the other side of town and say your intent is bad. And now your witness is blown. Now you're having to defend yourself when you never should have had to. Older men teach younger men. Younger women, or excuse me, older women teach younger women. God's already supplied everything we need for this. Be very careful what you do. Be careful who you make your friend on Facebook. Some people are after something different than what you're after. Some people are still thinking of the flesh and not of the spirit. Notice they didn't question him, and I would tell you, don't question the Lord. You can reason with him, but he's always right. Oh. If that's for me, tell them I'm busy. So, again... The same thing going on. The woman was looking for physical water. Jesus is talking to her about living water, the Spirit of God. So what's going on with the disciples? Jesus is about the work of the Father, and the disciples go into the city to get food. He lets them go into the city and get food. He doesn't reprimand them. So they come back, and they're still focused on the physical and say, what's he seeking? Why is he talking to her? We got the food. We're taking care of things. And they're still thinking about feeding their bellies. And they're not concerned about the souls of people. Very important that we understand that. Because we live in a culture where everything is physical. We live even in a church age where everything is about the physical. We dress to please. We, we, we do everything that we do to please the person around us instead of living for God. You guys have heard me say this. Some people go to church to close their eyes, worship God, and some go to either close. 
What's the culture wearing? What's people wearing? What's people in church doing? How do they look? What looks Christian? Listen, the Spirit of God in you with a personal love relationship makes you a Christian. It's going to make you Christ-like. They were first called Christians in Antioch, and it was a slur because they were acting like Christ. It wasn't something that they had to try to do. When the Spirit of God came into them, they began to be like Christ because the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Automatically, if the Spirit's in you, your focus is going to change. And if it doesn't, you need to ask God why. You need to go and draw near and begin to talk to him and say, why am I quenching and grieving, insulting, lying to your spirit? Why is my life not beginning to change? Why am I not growing? And in order to grow, you decrease and let Christ increase, as John said. If you want to be lifted up, you must humble yourself. And allow the Spirit of God to lead your life. So they're marveling. They never had the nerve to ask why. I mean, sometimes that's a good thing to do, though, is just reason with God. Why? But notice what happens in verse 28. Let's look. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Listen, a couple things here. She went to the well concerned about water. She had an argument. She was a little sassy with Jesus about how to draw. You don't even have nothing to draw with. What do you mean I give you a drink? You You don't have anything to do with Samaritans. Notice she never did get a drink. Notice she doesn't go back and tell the men, I just got in an argument with a Jew. I don't know what that rabbi was doing there. Notice she doesn't go and talk about water. What does she talk about? Sin. She went back and said, I just met a man that told me everything I ever did. What did he tell her? You've been married five times, and the guy you're living with now, you're not married to. That struck her heart because because that's what the Word of God is supposed to do. It's supposed to speak to your fallen nature and then make you change your mind. She leaves her vessel for gathering water. She drinks of living water, and she goes and becomes a witness. It's that simple. She put down her vessel, her water pot. She's not worried about the physical water anymore. She automatically, because of the Spirit of God coming in, when she believed, automatically, not just becomes a witness, but she knows that my God will supply for all of my needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. She knows it because of the Spirit in her, and she's not concerned anymore about her earthly vessel. You should not be either. If we're thinking about this, the only place this water pot is used is in John chapter 2. Remember those empty vessels at the wedding in Cana of Galilee where Jesus is on his way back to? Isn't that where we're going? We're going to a wedding? The wedding supper of the Lamb? Listen, the the only, only concern was is those pots being filled with living water and becoming new wine in the new covenant, understanding the way that we worship in spirit and truth today. That's chapter 2. Listen to me. Put down your water pot, your old sin nature. Change your mind and go and be a witness for the living water, the truth of life, and let other people know. Tell somebody. 
That's what happens here when she believes, when he said, I am he. She forgot about the pot. She drank of living water. Now it's going to culminate in, look what it culminates in, chapter 7. We'll get there eventually, but I'm just, I'm just way ahead of myself. Three chapters. Chapter 7, the last day, on that last day, it's the last day of the feast. Uh, they did this uh, actually in the feast to commemorate the water coming out of the rock in the wilderness when it would gush out. Remember the water? And Moses hit it, the rock twice. On that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Commentary, verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Listen, what happens to this woman who truly gets saved? Out of her heart flows rivers of living water. She went and told somebody. She was looking for hope. She was looking for help. She was looking for a Savior. And when he spoke to her, she believed in him. And when you believe, the Spirit comes in, and then you go and tell somebody. There becomes evidence in your life that you're saved. You don't keep chasing the same thing. You don't keep carrying your water pot around. You lay down your old life. You become a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Galatians 5, 17. Is that right? Oh, no, it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I got all the way lost on that. Galatians. What are you doing in Galatians? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen, you put down your water pot. Your new heart now is, is looking for spiritual things. They're looking for souls of mankind to be saved. Your new heart is now looking to be led by the Spirit of God. You've been given a new heart when you believe. What is believed? It's the word pistio. It means to entrust your spiritual well-being into something. In this case, it's God's appointed Messiah, the anointed of God, the Lamb of God. And you're believing in Him completely. Nothing else matters. What did they say about Jesus? What did it say about Jesus? Behold, it is written in the volume of the book, I have come to do thy will, O God. What's His will? It's a written document. Just like a will, when you lose a loved one and you have to open up the will, and then there has to be an executor of the state, and then there has to be somebody who, who mediates it. All of that is where we're at in the Christian church today. We're trying to do the will of God, so we need to read the document. Then we need a, an attorney to look at it, which is the paralegal, the Holy Spirit, who comes alongside, and he reads that document. He tells you how to do it. He can't do it for you, but if you will surrender, he can do it through you. And you can receive the inheritance of the will of God, which becomes joint heirs with Christ. He gives us by marriage um, his kingdom with him. By marriage. So it's a legal covenant. She lead, the woman then left her water pot. Are you still carrying your water pot around? I meet so many Christians that are like, well, I'm hanging on to those CDs. I'm going to hang on to that music in case I want to listen to it later. Really? It was from hell before, and now you're saved. Why would you hang on to hell? That's a water pot. 
What kind of books and magazines and what's in your house? What are you hanging on to that's still got death all over it? So you got to cut the root out. And if you're still hanging on to it, you haven't burned the bridges behind you. There's no going back. Who has put his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's God's words, not mine. I'm not being mean. But if the Spirit of God comes in, why would we look back? We've just been saved from hell. Doesn't that change your life? Don't you want to tell somebody? Remember the guy that fell in quicksand? He's out in the middle of nowhere and he falls in quicksand. And he's sinking and he's like, this is crazy. I can barely breathe now. It's up on my chest and I can't get out. There's no way to escape. He gets down and he's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. About right here, somebody reaches in and pulls him out. He gets up, he dusts himself off, takes a water hose, cleans up. He goes and sits down at the kitchen table and says, what's for dinner, honey? No, he's like, on the 10 o'clock news, somebody pulled me out. I was going under. I was in the quicksand. He wants to tell everybody. Listen, we were getting ready to go under. And we were at our well on our mountain worshiping, and we thought we were doing great, and Jesus the Christ comes and speaks to us, and we believed, and we're not going to get up and go tell somebody? That's quenching, grieving, insulting, and lying to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here to tell. The Holy Spirit is here to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit is capable of doing everything in your life that needs to be done. Unless we want to live in the flesh. And if we're living in the flesh, then we're still relying on our own power. And I'm not telling you that it doesn't mean you're not saved. I'm just telling you that the devil's stealing your, your power, your privilege Stealing your inheritance, stealing everything about salvation from you. That's between you and God, whether you're saved. But I'm telling you, all the power, all the privilege, everything is there. He gives you gifts, talents, and abilities. He gives you 66 books, a love letter by 40 authors. All you have to do is draw near, and he'll send you. Notice she didn't even need to be sent. She's seen the other guys coming, and she says, I got to go tell somebody. It's like a fire in my bosom. I just met the Messiah. She left her water pot. That's a vessel. Let me look for it. Water pot. Um, she left it. The word left. It's not left hand. You get right or you get left. Listen, it means to forsake. It means to lay it aside. It means to leave it. It means to yield it up. Her water pot. What's her water pot? It's a receptacle for a family to supply of water. So it's a pretty big receptacle. She's not wanting to deal with that anymore, and she gets rid of it. She just leaves it there with him. That's where you leave it at, at the cross. You leave it with Jesus. That old water pot, and you got a new one now. you got a new heart full of living water. And where'd she go? She went and found a new place to live. No, she went back into the city specifically and she said to the men I wonder if it was men that she was married to twenty nine come see a man who told me all things I ever did she knows he spoke things that he should not know. Could this be the Christ, the anointed of God? 
Well, what happened when she did this? Well, it's a move of God's spirit. It's God doing the work. He's preparing people. He must needs go through Samaria. Very important. You trace the book of Acts. It's really, it's really amazing to watch in the book of Acts. Um, you know, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto the Jew first and then to the Greek. When you go to the book of Acts, what happens? Churches birthed with Jews, all Jews. Upper Rome, all Jews. Then what happens? They wouldn't go and tell the world because Jesus died for the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They wouldn't go and tell the world. So Jesus scatters them with persecution. Philip goes where? Samaria, which is half Jew, half Assyrians. What happens in chapter 10, Greg? Peter goes to the Gentiles, Cornelius' house. See, and the gospel goes out just like he announces in Acts 1.8. And that's the way it's still supposed to be going, but we've made up our own little plans, our own little religious headquarters, our own little ways of doing things. And we've come up with these little bitty types of what it looks like and how they dress and what they say. And it's so much so that all you have to do is say to somebody, where do you go to church? And they go, oh, I go over to the assemblies. And now you know a whole bunch about that person that you couldn't know before. Why is it important where you go to church? Do you know Jesus? Do you have the Spirit of God? Are you a witness for God? Are you living for God? That's what's important because we're all the bride. We're all the church. But we begin to divide, and in our flesh, we make up our own little pet doctrines that mostly are false. We do altar calls. We make people just like the Jewish nation did, twice the sons of hell, by giving them all these little things they need to follow instead of telling them to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship and then put their life together with the rest of the bride because we're all the body of Christ. Christ is the head. And if the body is together, the body should be functioning by being led by the Spirit. And we shouldn't be smacking each other in the face. We shouldn't be divided. We shouldn't be arguing. We shouldn't be biting and nipping at one another. We should be living for Jesus and concerned about souls. And if all of us were concerned about souls, be a different church in America. Be a lot different stuff going on instead of apostasy. Everybody trying to write a book and start a conference. We got a book. We're having a meeting. We're being equipped to go out and tell other people that they're lost or going to hell. And you're not going to get it accomplished arguing with them. I don't know how many times I've talked to people about that. I don't, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to declare truth. Did you see Jesus argue with her? In fact, he ignored all of her answers and just kept telling her the truth. Oh, he heard her physical logic. He heard her earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. But he just pressed on with truth. And her conscience, conscience was struck with truth. And her mind changed. Her direction changed. The vessel that she carried water in changed. She went a different way. She went right back to the very same people she didn't want to see at the well. And she shared Jesus with them. Boldness. What happened when she told them? Then they went out of the city and came to him. They wanted to investigate. They wanted to know what was going on. They believed her because they seen something different. Listen, I'm telling you, listen, people. When the Spirit of God comes into the heart of a person, 
there's going to be evidence. People that are around you will notice it. There's going to be a difference. Well, I really wasn't bad in the first place. Listen, there's going to be a difference. All of us are sinners in need of a Savior. There's going to be a difference in your, your desires. There's going to be a difference in your talk, in your language, in your action, in your demeanor. Everything about you will change when the Spirit of God comes in. How can the living God enter your heart and things not change? This is something we need to test ourselves to see if we're even in the faith before we physically die. Because once that happens, it's too late. So she becomes a witness. They came out to see. But in the meantime, notice in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Physical, right? Do the physical. You got to eat. Remember, he was weary and sat down at a well. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. That's the word I do. You do not know. You don't understand. You don't see or perceive at this time. Listen, this is his disciples who he's getting ready to send out. He's training them. You don't understand it right now. I'm trying to help you. I'm giving you milk. I want to give you some meat. That's what the word for food is here is meat. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Notice how they're talking. And we see this all the time with the disciples. Every once in a while, Jesus will turn around and go, what are you guys talking about back there? Because they're whispering behind him about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, who gets to sit at the right hand, who gets to sit at the left. They, instead of just asking him, well, what do you mean you've got meat? Jesus already knows what they're talking about because he answers their thoughts. Look at the sovereignty. Look at the, the, the proof that he's God in the flesh. They're sitting there going, man, who gave him food? They're talking to one another instead of, listen, be very careful with that. We talk about this in other times. If all you're talking about is to one another and you're not talking to God, you're going to come up with the wrong answer. You need to have the Spirit of God involved in the conversation with God. Don't just use yourselves and leave Jesus out. They need to be asking this question to allow the Spirit of God to give them the wisdom of God so that they can know the truth of God. But they're just talking amongst themselves. So Jesus answers them anyway because he knows what they need. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What's your food? What's your, what's your food, uh, Christian? Listen, what's your focus today? I wish the pastor would be quiet. I got a pot of stew at home. I'd like to go eat. I'm not being mean. I'm just telling you that we have to change our focus. We have to change what we're really here for. Even, even when we look at the communion text and the pitch-in dinner text and the love feast text, it, says, it tells you to judge yourself and don't come here to eat, but eat at home. Lest you come together for judgment. And I'll put the rest of the things in order when I come, he said. It actually tells us that our focus should not be physical anymore. When you go to work on your job, it's not physical. It's not, oh, man, I got to go to work again. This stinks. No, 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 no. 
This is the mission field that God has placed you in. This is the privilege you have to go in the spirit to talk to other souls and to be a witness in front of them and give testimony that you are different because the spirit of God dwells in you. It's not something that happens on Sunday morning only. That's the problem I have with a lot of things that are going on in churches today. When they're falling out in the spirit and when they're giggling and laughing in the spirit and barking like a dog. Why don't they do that on, on Monday morning around the copy machine? See, if they did it Monday morning around the copy machine and started barking like a dog, they'd get fired. But they can be a circus in church. Listen, if you can do it on, on Monday morning at work, then I'm okay with it. Because you're supposed to be being equipped here on Sunday to go out and be a witness on Monday. Every other day of the week, too. But that's the whole point. But we come in and we evangelize the pews and we do all kinds of crazy stuff in the church. And then we go back to the real world. Wait a minute. We're being equipped to be witnesses, to walk out the gifting of God, and to tell somebody about Jesus. We're not going out there to look like a circus and to be silly. Now listen, we're being marginalized even more, and the whole attack of death culture, so that you know, is that they're coming after you, so you need to count the cost. They're coming after the church. Death culture is about killing God's Word. We're changing the definitions of everything. We've been doing it forever. We've been doing it forever, but it wasn't in our face. We're like, okay, we can put up with that. Roe versus Wade, they're going to kill babies. Uh, we're going to pray to God, and we hate that. Oh, evolution in the schools. Now they're teaching them evolution, and they want to kick God out. See, they want to kick God out of everything. So they have to change the definitions of everything because God's the one spoke, and everything comes from God's Word. What did He say? Everything. Did He really say? Yes, He said. And if you do what thou wilt and you don't learn what he said, you could be following the wrong voice. You could be following some false gods. But he wrote it down for us so that we would know. He put his spirit in us so that he can convict us and lead us into all truth so we could worship him in spirit and truth. And we would know what we worship. And we wouldn't be worshiping like the Samaritan woman on the wrong mountain with the wrong water pot chasing the wrong thing. And yet I digress. What water pot are you carrying around? Is it living water? Because you came to Jesus and it gushes out of you when the Spirit of God wants to? Are you available as a vessel to carry His message around and to speak to others? It looks differently in everybody's life. It looks differently in everybody's life, but are you praying about how to share, praying about when to share, praying about who to share with? Are you understanding that that's your identity in Christ is to become Christ-like? And what did he do? He came to die. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus says, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Remember he said to Telestai as he hung on the cross before he gave up his spirit and he said it is finished. He knew, what he, he knew why he came. 
He knew where he was going, John 13. Jesus, knowing that his hour had came. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know your identity? Do you know what your gifts are, your talents, your abilities? Do you know what you're called to do? To be a martyr. One who dies for their faith. A witness. How am I going to do that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? When's that going to happen? When you stop carrying your own water pot around? When you stop trying to carry your own water and you begin to carry the message of Christ? When you die to self? sin and Satan when you decide that I've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus and my life is no longer mine this vessel is no longer mine and that he wants to sanctify and cleanse me body soul and spirit every bit of me and he wants to send me out the same way the father sent him he sends us as a sacrifice one who would go out and die which oh, Romans 12 1 and 2 Paul said to the church in Rome, I beseech you, I plead with you, I urge you, brethren, considering the mercy of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove, evidence, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's testimony, that's evidence as we offer ourselves as living sacrifice. Jesus did it and died. All we have to do is come and die to what we want to do and allow the Spirit of God to use this for His glory. And then He will transform our mind. But see, if you're not trying to transform your mind, if you're not getting into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship, if you're not surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're dying. You're carrying your own water pot. You cannot stand still in the kingdom of God, although many Christians like to do that. There's no such thing as standing still. There's either growing or dying. There's either he's increasing and you're decreasing or you're increasing because you're listening to some other lie and he's decreasing. There's no standing still. But when a Christian's dying, they're at their most beautiful. We're coming upon the most beautiful time of the year, fall. When a tree dies... We're oaks of righteousness. When a tree dies, that is beautiful. I love it. I got saved in, in uh, November, and I got to see the trees for the first time ever and go, whoa, I didn't see that. But you know what's going on on the inside when the tree's dying on the outside? That tree grows more over that little dormant time than it grows all year long while it's dying. You'll hear that again as we enter into fall and through the winter. You'll hear a little bit more of that. It is growing and looks the most, or it's dying and looks the most beautiful on the outside. What food are you eating? Are you trying to finish the work that God started in your life? Quit it then. Allow the Holy Spirit to do it. Philippians 1.6, I will complete the work I started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. He'll do it. If you just surrender and abide in the vine, he will take care of the work. But you have to do it his way. You can't do it some other way because that's the will of God. And with the will, even just like a physical will in a courtroom, if you don't do it according to the executor of the estate, you don't get anything. 
It has to be done. That's the law. It has to be done according to the will of God. And the executive of the state is the Holy Spirit. And he's right here now wanting to give you everything that's in your inheritance and send you out to be a witness and allow you to have the privilege and the power to go and share with others. But he's here to save souls. That's the will of God, that not any would perish, but all would come to repentance. How are they going to come to repentance? They have to hear truth. No, you're not married. You've been married five times, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And truth makes you make a decision in your conscience whether you're going to want to hear more or whether you're going to harden your heart and walk away. We see this woman surrendered, and she begins to receive And she goes out and witnesses and testifies. These guys come back, even his own disciples, and they're still chasing the physical. And he says, listen, I'm satisfied with doing the will of the Father. He says it almost echoes Deuteronomy 8 too. Deuteronomy 8, what did he say to the devil? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He didn't say don't eat no physical bread. But he's here to do thy will, O God. He wants to finish what God has called him to do. Why did God save you? If it was for nothing, he would take you home the minute you believed. He saved you for a reason. You're a part of the body for a reason. He's working in your heart for a reason. Those troubles and pains and sufferings are happening for a reason. So that you'll cry out to him. Go read Deuteronomy 8. That's what it talks about. These 40 years that I took you to the wilderness, your shoes didn't wear out. Nothing. Happened. I fed you. I gave you rock, water from a rock that you might know what was in your heart and that you might know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Spiritual word, spiritual message, spiritual plan. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. John 10, 27. So that's where he's satisfied at, is doing the will of God, the Father who sent him. Who sent you? Who are you carrying water for? Yourself, sin, Satan, or for Jesus the Christ? 35, do you not say, he gives him a parable, do you not say, I love it because he's always doing this, he uses what we say. He uses what we already know to train us. He uses the physical to train us in the spiritual, right? So watch what he does, because see, it's harvest time right now around here. You see the corn, you see the beans, it's getting ready. They're getting ready to get in the fields if the rain doesn't stop them. I don't know when they go. I'm a city boy. I'm just telling you, it's looking close. They wait for it to dry out so they don't have to dry it in their bins. Saving propane. I, never mind. I'm getting out of that conversation. I'll get way too far off and I don't know nothing about it. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Listen to me. White is what the wheat looked like when it would, it, like whole fields of white is what it looked like. And I can see Jesus right now. Look what he's doing. He says, do you not say that four months and then comes a harvest? And commentators say it was December and they're getting ready to harvest. And he goes like this. Behold, look. His hand is going like this. And here comes these men from the city. 
He's saying, here comes souls. That's what we're trying to harvest. Not that wheat. You're worried about the physical when it's the spiritual that I'm here for. And if you're my child in my house, in my kingdom, it's all about the spiritual life. It's all about souls. The only ministry that I'm going to give you is the ministry of reconciliation of souls. So when you put all your time in that field of wheat and you have no time for people, you're carrying the wrong water pot. You're watering the wrong field. You're still in the world. You're still doing the work of the devil. Doesn't mean you're not saved. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you're confused. You don't understand the will of God. You're not cooperating with the Spirit of God. You're not understanding your identity. You still think that life is in the abundance of things that you gain. And what will a man give for his own soul? Or in exchange for his own soul? So he's kind of saying, look, look, here they come. We don't see that till verse 39. First, he explains, verse 36. And he who reaps, that's the harvest, receives wages. That's paycheck. That's a reward. And gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So it doesn't matter who sows, and it doesn't matter who waters, but we all reap together when somebody comes to salvation, when somebody believes. We all have different places to be, to do, to receive. Let me look with you. Uh, Matthew, got to find my note. Matthew 12, verse 30. You guys remember this? It was one of our memory verses. Matthew 12, verse 30. Listen. He who is not with me is against me. Whose water pot are you carrying? And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Listen, this is what Jesus is saying to him. The only thing we're left here for is to gather with him in the harvest. Is to reap souls. But we're being a witness until his spirit is ready and drawing people to them. And he's saying the fields are white for harvest, but the laborers are few. And he's pointing as these men come out of the city of Samaria because one woman listened. One person listened. He didn't go into the city to get the whole crowd. He wants to win you so you will go and be his hands and feet. He wants you to carry his water, you to carry his spirit, you to be the vessel that is filled with rivers of living water that gushes out. He doesn't want us to do like the nation of Israel does, your homework, Jeremiah chapter 2. The people had committed two evils. They had forsaken God and then they'd made up their own religion. And was telling other people about it. They made up their own broken cisterns that held water. See, when you turn from God, or when you turn to some other well to drink from, and you're carrying another water pot, your back has to be to God. You have turned from God if you're carrying water for something else. You have to know why you're here, what you're called for. We are martyrs. We're supposed to be witnesses, testifying, proving what is the good and acceptable will of God. That souls would come to repentance. He's not mad at us. He's not trying to kill us. He's trying to save us. We're already dead.
And we're going to be rewarded by what we do, even in the body. And we should be rejoicing together that somebody is working, not envious and and, and biting and mad and saying, well, I want to be the preacher. I want to do this. I want to do that. We all work together. The body has different gifts and we all work together. Christ is the head. And each of us are called to do something different. If all we have is preachers or if all we have is like one big eye running down the road, keeping a watch on your sin, one big eye, or if everybody is a leg, see, we're all different parts of the body. You can read that over in 1 Corinthians 12 or get the tape. We talked about it at length. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 3. We just read this a few days ago. Where are we at in 1 Corinthians 8? If you're reading through the schedule, see, I love that because it reminds me where things are at. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth who is biting and devouring and destroying one another and arguing about it and uh, it's called sectarianism, and they're, they're dividing up, and one of them's of Apollos, and one of them's of Paul, and one of them's, you know, and he said, did, 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 did Paul die? Did I die for any of you? Did Peter die? No, Christ died for us. We're all of Christ. But he says this, 3.1, I read just a little bit of extra commentary to go with it to get to the part about uh, sowing and reaping before he goes into building, because he uses all kinds of analogies and i brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual spirituals notice it's in italics all that but as to carnal as to babes in christ notice what he's saying we're supposed to all regard everything as spiritual we're supposed to be living in the spirit walking in the spirit led by the spirit we're supposed to be doing the work of the spirit the kingdom of god And he says, I can't talk to you as people like that because you're still carnal. You're still fleshly. You're still worried about the flesh and you're babes. I feed you with milk and not with solid food, not with meat, for until now you are not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. If you are still carnal, for you are still carnal, for where there is envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am Paul and I'm of Apollos, are you not flesh? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed? Somebody shares the gospel with you. As the Lord gave to each one, I planted, this is Paul writing the church in Corinth, he planted seeds, he told them about Christ. Apollos came along And when he shared, he watered the seed that was planted. But what happened? God gave the increase. It's all a spiritual work. We are just vessels that are carrying the water and the seed that's planted. The seed is the word of God. We water it and God gives the increase. Nobody's growing unless you have a relationship with God. Nobody's growing unless you're going and following So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Listen, we're not anything, but we're one together. We're in unity. We're supposed to be doing the same thing. The will of God that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own 
labor, his ergon, his what he's occupied with, what water pot you're carrying. Then he goes on and he does the same thing about building materials. And he says, if you're building on gold or silver, wood, hay or stubble, it's all going to burn up. If we're trying to build people into Christians or a church out of gold or silver, those are all building materials in heaven. Those are, those are things that God builds stuff out of in heaven. You can only build with the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, with the truth of God, as people surrender to that. That's the water. That's the living water. The seed is the Word of God. The water is the Spirit of God. Have you asked the Spirit of God what your gifting is? Do you talk to the Spirit of God about what you're supposed to be doing, how you're supposed to be sharing, who you should be sharing with? You know, I have a friend that's been in, been in a hospital for over 10 years. He has short-term memory loss. He has brain damage. His brain was moved like three-quarters of an inch. He lost his memory for three years. And even he said to me the other day, he said, Greg, how do I witness to these people? I said, well, you ask the Holy Spirit. And then you go and tell them whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to tell them. Read your Bible. Well, I'm reading my Bible. But you know what? When I talk to him, short-term memory, I go, where'd you read today? He goes, Luke 29. I go, there ain't no Luke 29. Oh, well, maybe it was Mark 9. He doesn't remember where he read, but he remembers the Word of God. And it's the same thing, I don't know if you guys know, but with dementia patients, I clean at Westminster. I, I see patients all the time. And if they were raised in the Word of God, they relate that quick to the Word of God. They don't know where they're at. They don't know what they're saying. But we had a lady going crazy one night, going all down the halls and in our ways, and we were, we were cleaning the carpets while they were closed. She was not supposed to. She wouldn't listen to anybody. And I said, ma'am, do you know Jesus? And she stood right up. And I said, well, Jesus the Christ tells you to go to your room and you behave and you quit acting like that. She went straight to her room and she sat down. See, they understand Scripture. We start singing gospel songs. They know them. They can't remember the world, but they can remember amazing grace. It's amazing. It really is. It's, it, 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 it's, it's an amazing thing what God does when He plants that in your heart and it grows. And your physical body might wear out. Your physical tent is supposed to wear out. But your spirit is married to God. Listen, whose water pot are you carrying? Are you still worried about building something down here? It's all going to burn. Now, I'm not talking about being lazy and slothful. Proverbs says that's akin to a, a destroyer. I'm not talking about not working, because if a man doesn't work, he doesn't need. The Bible's clear on these other issues. We got to do physical. We're in the physical. We're carrying this physical body around. We're going to stumble, but the punishment has been taken. The power of sin has been taken. The Spirit of God has been given, and we are privileged to be children of God that can be led by the Spirit of God and do the will of God for the glory of God. But we got to get to that place where we stop chasing sin and self and Satan and everything else and begin to enter into his harvest. Begin to look 
for the souls of men and try to glean the fields. Four thirty-seven. For in this the saying is true: one sows, another reaps. And then Jesus says, "I sent you to reap, to harvest that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors." Now, it's interesting. This is real interesting. If you think about that, just for in the context of where they're at, these people were falsely believing things. They have been intermarried. They have adopted all kinds of other cultural things. But the one thing that they were still doing right is they still had hope that God was sending a Messiah. And I think almost the whole world, I mean, they, they believe in God, even though they have to suppress it, Romans 1. And they really want hope. And when you share the truth with them, which is what the devil doesn't want you to do, then it can waken them up. When you carry the right water to them, they can wake up. There's no way for them to wake up unless you carry them the right water. Unless you give them the Spirit of God, the Word of God, Spirit and truth. They can't wake up. You can be nice to them. That's, some, that's a way of evangelism that some people teach. Dumbest thing I ever heard of. Be nice to them until they know you're nice, and then they'll ask you, what if they die while you're being nice? Not my fault. I was trying to be nice. The Bible doesn't tell you to be nice. The Bible says speak the truth in love. You may never meet them again. You may never see them again. At least you can water. And then maybe somebody else will share with them and they'll go, that's what that guy was talking about. And then they, in God's timing, according to God's spirit, God's way, they wake up. But if you wake up, you're going to tell somebody. You can't be dangled over hell and be living in hell and know that you're saved and not tell somebody. This woman instantly went and told somebody. I think Nicodemus went and told people. We see him. We see his life changed. We see him burying Jesus. He was no longer worried about what people thought of him. He came out with Joseph of Arimathea, and they buried Jesus. He said, I'm tired of worried about what the world thinks. I'm going to start doing what God thinks. So there's lots of people that have been seeds planted in their life, and you need to be there, led by the Spirit, to water them. And then these people, they are entering into, what well, is it? are they able to be a part of what Jesus has done? Oh, yeah, that's what that meant. Do you see it? Jesus has shared with the woman. The woman has went away and shared with the men. The men are coming back. See, who did the labor? Jesus did all the labor. He did all the work on the cross. It's finished, he said, to tell us die, paid in full. And we get to enter into that labor and receive reward, and we get crowns for it. And then, of course, we take them back off and we lay them at his feet and sing, worthy is the lamb. But he actually gives us wages and reward for that crowns for that he did all the work and that's all we need to tell people verse 39 and many of the samaritans of the city believed there that word is what did they what would they believe they believe what the woman said look 
Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him, in Christ, because of the word of the woman who testified. What she testified? He told me all that I ever did. You know, God knows everything about everything you ever did. Now, I don't remember much. I've got selective memory. I mean, I've got uh, damage memory. My buddy that I tell you has got that brain damage. He's, he says that all the time. He goes, Greg, did you know that I? And I go, yeah, yeah, I know that. He's remembering things that he never knew. Or that he didn't know he knew. That he didn't know he did because he lost his memory. Some of the things that you've forgotten you've done as a child, God knows. He still knows them. Forgives you. But everything you've ever done, that's what she's saying. Isn't that amazing? The sovereignty of God. Even when you forget, he remembers. Unless it's your sin. Because if you're in Christ, he forgets it. He remembers those little prayers. If you get me out of this one, Lord, I'll serve you. He remembers those. I believe in you, Lord. I'll do it. He's waiting. But notice that she went straight back and sowed seeds into the hearts of these men in the city. The word of God. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Listen, what else happens when people get saved, when people believe, when people are testifying? They want to be around Jesus. They want to be around the Word of God. They didn't say, get out of here like we're going to see when he goes to the gatherings and he cast out the legion from the pigs. They come out to get out of here, get out of here. They want him to leave. When a person truly gets saved, they want to be around the Word of God. They want to hear the Word of God. And these people beg him to stay. They urge him to stay. They plead with him to stay. I beseech you to stay. Because the Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. That's how he tells you everything about you. Is as you stay in the Word of God. As you abide and continue and remain. You make your home with Him and He makes His home with you. And what happens then, Greg? And many more believe because of his own word. Now they're hearing him speak. See, it's becoming personal. It's not just witnessing. See, we're being equipped right now to go back out there to tell others. And when they get told, then they come and they believe. And then they draw near to God and he draws near to them. He speaks to them personally. And there becomes an intimacy with them. Remember chapter 1, introduction, the Lamb of God invitation jesus says come and see intimacy he changes their names then we see nicodemus there was an investigation you might say that uh, never mind we'll move away notice that others believed many more entrusted their spiritual well-being into christ because of his word 
Then they said to the woman, look what they testified back. Now we're having conversation. Now we're having fellowship. Now we can talk about the word together and conversate over it. They said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, but notice how come they believe before. They're actually given testimony. She's the one shared with us. That's why we believe. For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Heard. Hear with your ear. Give audience. But what does Romans 10, 17 says? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Their faith is growing because they're listening to him now. Who are you listening to? Who are you carrying water for? Are you worshiping in spirit and truth? Are you allowing the spirit to take the word of God and teach you the will of God for the glory of God? Are you sharing with others your personal testimony of what God is doing? Can people see evidence of whose water you're carrying in your life? What water pot you are? I think you can. I think you can tell what a person's doing. I think you can see when they're living with a broken cistern and they're living with the water of the world and it's polluted and it's not drinkable. They don't want to be in fellowship. They don't want to talk to people about the Word of God because it's not living water that they want to talk about. But if you get into the Word of God and begin to spend time with God, There'll be rivers of living water that well up in you that gush out on others to share spiritual truth because you'll be concerned about their soul. You'll be concerned about how they're living. You'll want to speak life to them. You'll want to speak truth to them. Have you left your water pot behind? Are you seeing transformation like happened in this city of dregs samaritans a place where the jews would not even go yet jesus come to the whole world notice how they had blown their witness and their testimony the nation of israel they were supposed to be witnesses planted there living in a way so that everyone could see that their god was alive In Solomon's day, it said all roads led to the throne. It was such an amazing thing. You know, the problem is, is when we're given all this privilege, we do touch all kinds of things. And then it begins to come into our life and we begin to adopt it. Because we don't stay focused on the living water and the word of God. And so we begin to say, okay, that's okay. We'll take that in. We'll take that in. We'll take that in. And the church becomes apostate. Because it's adopting everything. I wouldn't adopt what God doesn't want to adopt. He's adopting children, believe me. We, we're, we're all born again by the spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father. We're adopted into his family. But he's not adopting in yoga and Buddhism and spiritism and all these things that we see coming into the church, socialism, Marxism. In fact, he doesn't look at any of us and see racism. You know, these are all things that have become doctrinal and thematic in the church, and they have nothing to do with the Christian church. 
but we're carrying the water of the world. We're carrying the water of the Antichrist. We're listening to the talking points of the world instead of listening to the voice of God. And listen, even those people that are doing that in the church, they're not your enemy. Because they've been deceived doesn't make them your enemy. It still makes it somebody you should be watering, somebody you should be planting seeds, somebody you should be trying to witness to and reach. Maybe God will grant them repentance and you'll be part of turning their soul from hell. Listen to this in verse 19 of James 5. Brethren, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Listen. The, when the world is ignoring God, they're condemned already. When a soul has been saved and it starts to believe lies and has wandered from the truth, we need to still share with them and save them from death, from death culture, and cover a multitude of sin. That's what love does. Love covered our sin. So we want to see real transformation. I think we really see that with the woman by the well. And you and I are that woman, I believe. We are the ones sitting by the well. We're on a mountain worshiping what we do not know. And God wants to have a conversation with us. He wants us to come to him and reason with him. And though our sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. White as the fields that we see for harvest. And we can enter into that work and we can receive reward. But we have to do it God's way. We have to allow his spirit to come in and, and, and lead our life. We have to carry his water. We can't go on carrying the water of the world or somebody else's water pot. We can't go on living the way we've always lived and think that we're going to go with God. We have to lay down our life. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's not the, oh, this is my cross I have to carry. No, that means die to self. The cross was death. The cross is where Jesus died. We take up our cross. We remind ourselves that we're living sacrifices. That we're holy because He's holy. We're acceptable in the Beloved because He became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we're not supposed to be conformed to this world, carrying that water. But we're supposed to be transformed. It's metamorpho. New creations. It's a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Totally different because of Christ. So we can prove, we can be evidence and witnesses of the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Once again, notice the woman did not drink of the water from the well. What did she drink of? She drank of living water. Where are you drinking from? The broken cisterns of this world? Or are you drinking from the well, the fountain of living waters? Jeremiah 17, 13. 
That's how the nation of Israel missed their Messiah. They drank from the wells of this world. It's not physical anymore. It's all spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Everything. Don't regard it as flesh and blood anymore. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that's close and personal. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. What's the Holy Spirit teaching you? Everything about Christ. Because that's who you're supposed to look like, act like, be like. That's how we worship the Father in spirit and truth. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us. That we would come to you so that we could have rivers of living water flowing through us. Not stopping in us where it becomes stagnant, it becomes like the Dead Sea, but flowing through us. That what we receive from you, we would give to others as witnesses. We would give testimony. Thank you for giving us life. May we desire to go out and reconcile souls so that they could have life. Thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through you. Thank you, Lord. We pray for souls to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I find?